The Heart and Hard Work podcast lets us walk alongside extraordinary people reflecting on their stories to share learnings, mindsets, and actions that help us be our best. I'm the host, Rob Maloney. I've been guided by teammates, leaders, and mentors through life's most intense challenges, and they've empowered me to build this podcast space so we can grow together. We all face different challenges running our own races, but we can celebrate the power of our diverse stories, united by the thread of building our best selves with heart and hard work. We just spent the first half of this podcast, special edition, talking a ton about the performance paradox, uh, how the power of turning turning the power of mindset into action. And we talked a ton about the background, the inspiration, the mindset that shaped the reason why you wrote the book and really how to recognize the difference between the learning zone and the performance zone and how and when we need to make a change. And so in the second half of this conversation, I'd love to talk a bunch about your insights and the research back information that you have found a way to cram into this concise and effective book for how we can actually go about making some of those changes in our lives. And actually, that's the first place I wanted to start with. Can you talk a little bit more about your framework for the cornerstones of change? Yeah, the cornerstones of change is are the, the four things that make us effective learners and performers um, and and that give us make us kind of motivated and effective uh, learners and performers. And so um, first, we need a why. We need a reason to care and uh, because both the learning zone and the performance zone require effort. So why why spend that effort? we need we need to reconnect with that. Second, we need a growth mindset, which is the understanding that we can change, that our abilities and qualities are malleable and they're things that we can develop over time. But sometimes growth mindset is painted as a silver bullet, as you know, all you need is a growth mindset and then all your problems are solved. And a growth mindset is necessary to be to be as effective as we can and to grow as much as we can, but it's not sufficient. In addition to believing that we can change, we also need to understand how to change. You know, what is it that we need to do differently in order to change and improve? And that's where the the foundation of the differentiation between the learning zone and the performance zone is a foundation for that. And what are the different learning zone strategies for different things is something that we can always continue to learn more about. And then finally, it's really helpful. So these three things enable anybody to be an effective and motivated learner and performer, but it's also really helpful to have a fourth component, which is the belief that I belong in a learning community, that Mm -hmm. I have relationships with the people around me where I feel like I belong, like this, this community is my home. And when I see those people, I see people who are learners, who love learning behaviors, who share with each other what they're working to improve, who solicit feedback all the time. When they make mistakes, they share that and they say, hey, like he, this didn't go well. Here's the insight that I'm drawing from it. Or what do you think I can do differently uh, going forward? And when people engage in these learning behaviors, it raises their social status. This is something that people respect and, and look up to. Uh, when those four components, the cornerstones of change are in place, then we we are really well position to to grow and to and to and to execute absolutely and i i to me it stood out as one of the most important things that's been in my life to really spend the time to analyze why i'm doing something and to sit in the darkness with why i'm continuing to do something or it won't be long before motivation is very fleeting but what's really going to keep me driven and so that's why out of the six essential learning zone strategies that you shared in the book um, that focus on asking why and really understanding the cornerstones of change was super important to me. 
out of the other five that you had in the book, of course, there's a ton, but you had practice deliberately, learning big by experimenting small, working smarter, not harder, creating habits to strengthen our air sense and don't bulldoze. Which one, we're not going to have time to talk about them all. That's why folks have to read the book. Which one really stood out to you that uh, that you'd love to talk about or that has been really important for making a difference for you? Sure. And and that is um, chapter four. And those are six strategies. Chapter four, there's lots of others, right? Like, like soliciting oh, yeah. feedback is an example that we've we've talked about. Um, but I I would say that for for different skills and situations, different learning strategies are more appropriate. So for each of us kind of getting curious around what might be most helpful for us and tinkering with different strategies and continuing to get better at those strategies. But uh, I could pick any of those. Let me pick kind of um, ex experimentation is mm -hmm. something that's really important. Um, sometimes we get into the monotony of like approaching each day in the same way, right? If we do the same thing every day in the way that we did yesterday or last week or last month, there's no way we can get better because in order to improve, we have to change. Um, and so experimentation is super important, uh, but so trying something that might work better and seeing if it works better or doesn't. And we can be more kind of scientific around that in terms of doing A, B experiments and having data and seeing what really works better, or we can be kind of more like observing when, when we don't have the, the privilege of being able to be very data driven. Um, but, but what the, a, a trap that we often get into when we come to try to experiment is that we often end up trying to be too performance oriented with our experimentation. So we try to experiment in a way that's too large, trying to scale, you know, before we have really learned the lessons and see what works better. And, and often it, it it is important to be clear about the purpose of experimentation. Often early in like an, in an initiative, for example, the main purpose of experimentation is to learn. And so we want to uh, experiment small to learn big, right? So that we can iterate quickly, change things quickly, um, and and learn those lessons and insights quickly. So that once we're a lot smarter, then we can invest in scaling. Because if we try to experiment in a big scale, it it becomes burdensome and slow to go from each iteration to each iteration. Right. That makes us less successful in the long term. Right, and for a lot of the the entrepreneurs and the investors and business owners that listen to the podcast too, just thinking about how many times. I've personally heard the the mistake of thinking this was this idea is out of the park. This is awesome. We're going to do it. We're going to scale. We need to set up all the infrastructure. Have we validated it? Does has anyone bought it yet? No. Everything else needs to be in place first. I need to make sure I spend all this money on marketing and advertising. It's like, what about doing the, the experiment first? What about doing the ways that we can practice? We can learn big by experimenting small, and then. The scale will be there after. No, I'm going to miss the opportunity if I don't scale everything now. Well, there might you might be just running down a, a hallway that, that not all the doors are locked. You're not going in any direction. So, I think that's that's such an important takeaway for thinking about before we lead ourselves to making mistakes. Uh, and then chapter five to transition, you talk about unleashing the power of making mistakes. So, I want you. I would love if you could talk a little bit more about unleashing the power of mistakes, how we do it, and what we can learn from them. Absolutely. Mistakes are so important to our learning. They are the main way that we can drive our own neuroplasticity, especially from our mid-20s on. 
And uh, so that's why, you know, Olympic gold medalists, like athletes, they, when they engage in deliberate practice, they're trying a very specific soft skill at a high level of challenge that they can't do perfectly. And, and they're going to be making mistakes. Like the ball's going to go too much to the right or to the left, and they're going to adjust based on that. And that's how we get better. But on the other hand, um, so, so when, when we make mistakes, we have to, we don't learn from mistakes. We learn from reflecting on mistakes. Mm. So when we make mistakes, we have to think about them and think about what led to this mistake and what can I change? And so often, for example, uh, when we have customer support departments and a customer has a problem, we, we, we are often trying to solve the customer problem, trying to perform to solve their problem, which is important. That's necessary. But we often like miss the, the, the opportunity to think about how can I change the systems yeah. and the tools and, and the processes so that this same problem doesn't reoccur with a different customer. Or sometimes where our customer support function is, is in silo with other parts of the organization and we are not like sharing our insights that we're learning in customer support with marketing or with product, right? Yeah. And so how can we really learn from mistakes and how we can change so that we can improve uh, in the future is something to think about. But so mistakes are super powerful, but they're also, on the other hand, they decrease performance. Like great performances um, uh, involve few or indiscernible mistakes. And so we sometimes talk about mistakes are being all good, or sometimes like we have this conflicted relationship with mistakes because we want to avoid them too. And so in, in chapter five, like you said, um, I talk about four different four different kinds of mistakes because we need a more nuanced understanding of mistakes. So the first kind is uh, the stretch mistakes, which is when we're trying something in the learning zone, difficult that we haven't mastered yet. We can't expect to do it perfectly. We have to expect to make mistakes. That's super, super valuable. We want to engage in the learning zone beyond what we can know when things are safe, when those mistakes are not, not going to create a lot of damage, right? Uh, second, there's the high stakes mistakes, which is when we do a mistake that is really going to cause damage, is going to either hurt someone or is going to be you know, very detrimental to our results or to our revenues or, or whatever. So we want to try to minimize those mistakes. And when the stakes are high, it's totally reasonable to go into our performance zone and just focus on what we know best, trying to minimize mistakes. There are There is a time and space for that. Third, there's the sloppy mistakes, which is the things that we do that we should have known better. We've already learned this lesson before. And, you know, when we make these mistakes, we can kind of either laugh at them and if it's nothing important, if it can bring joy to our lives. Um, or obviously, we can also like think about what led to this mistake. What can I do differently in the future to avoid it? And often with sloppy mistakes, the lesson tends to be that. I can change some things to foster more focus or to uh, change my systems and habits so that there's less collateral damage in the periphery of what I'm trying to do. Um, and finally, there's the aha moment mistakes, which is when we do something as we intended, but then we realize it was the wrong thing to do. And those are precious uh, opportunities as well to learn when we make, when we have a aha moment, again, like with any mistake, we want to think about what can I learn from this mistake um, and what can I do differently going forward? And, and, but it is sometimes, a lot of times these are surprising things. They're not things that we can proactively elicit, except by soliciting feedback a lot, we tend to, to, to surface more aha moments um, by soliciting feedback. But the, the key around mistakes is that we want to do more stretch mistakes. That's where we can be most proactive. No, we want to do more stretch mistakes, not by trying to do things incorrectly, but by trying to do things that are challenging beyond what we can do. 
Yeah, it, it's so great to hear you break that down as an actual framework, because otherwise we risk avoiding mistakes always altogether if we can't classify the different times. And that's why the book is really an awesome resource for that, being able to classify the different times and places when we are in high stakes mistake. Obviously, no one wants to go out and waste a million dollars, but you talk later in, in the end of the book about some organizational success factors and what leads to the ability to do that, not just at the individual level, but as a leader, like, yes, mistakes are costly, but so is tuition, right? That was a quote that stood out to me. And and, and if, if we ignore mistakes, if we fear them, or if we try to put them away and we don't learn from them, we just spent a bunch of money on tuition and then, and then it just was wasted, but they become those very powerful learning opportunities. And we deprive ourselves of those if we don't seek them. But so, so there's a, there is a time and place. Is there more in your mind? Is there a good clear distinction for when there's a time to seek making mistakes or how to go about it? I know you talk about it later in the book for either the individual level or leaders. Well, we want to habituate and systematize the learning zone, and that's going to involve mistakes of different kinds. But for each of us as individuals, teams, and organizations, that's going to look different. There are some organizations that use video, for example, in just videotaping their interactions with uh, customers with customer consent. And just, you know, it turns out that the professionals who review their video most often to learn from it are also the highest performers. Or there's organizations that create peer coaching groups where people are encouraged to just meet once a month and talk to peers about what they're working on or what they're struggling with or, you know, share ideas. Uh, there's organizations that use a ton of experimentation, like A-B testing. Um, and there's organizations that change their meeting agendas, like their weekly agenda. They put in a topic in that agenda that is not just performance oriented, but learning oriented. Like, you know, let's share what we learned last week and what we can do differently going forward. And so there's tons of different um, learning zone strategies and systems and habits that we can systematize, but uh, it, it's going to look different depending on the culture we're building and what kind of work we do. Um, but the the key is to to think about how do we want to because often we have performance zone systems which are important, they're critical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do we track performance? How do we keep ourselves accountable? But we also want to keep ourselves accountable not only to results but also to learning and improvement and progress and the behaviors that we agree are important. Um, and and so also creating systems and structures for that as well. Yeah, I, I think that the underlying theme is create a system, right? Don't expect it to just happen because we, we're we human. So we naturally are going to seek comfort in, in whatever level we can. So having some system, I, I know some of my colleagues always talked about 80-20 rule where they do 80% of their primary work and then they seek 20% of their time to be devoted towards stretch assignments or something where they're learning a skill that they're interested in. They're not necessarily masters of it, maybe not even proficient, but they have a chance to learn and, and solve a problem and tackle that after that key amount, um, that key core work that they're expected to deliver is performed. Then another way that you talk about that is a framing learning and performance to, and providing clear guidance in the book, which stood out to me on these approaches. And, and I thought about the metaphor again, we're, we're loving analogies, but of the boat, the boat is the ship on the water. And if, if there's a fire or a mistake or something on top of the boat, we can quickly clean it up. We can learn from it and we can move on. But if there is a foundational hole or a, or a challenge or a mistake or a problem in something below the water level, that's going to lead to something much worse and that can quickly bring us down. So maybe that in itself, too, 
is a way for leaders to think about what are the types of things and what are the kinds of situations where we can afford mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that framework too. I learned it from uh, Ian McGregor, who's the CEO of Scratch Labs. He's, he's one of the over 100 people who interviewed for the group. And one of the things he does is exactly what you said. It's like, you know, he 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 guides uh, the people at Scratch Labs to think about, are you on the deck right now where a fire is going to create a lot of damage? If so, just run with it. Just take the risk. You know, you don't have to check with other people. If you are in the engine room behind, uh, below the water where a hole is going might sink us, uh, bring in your colleagues, think this through before you take that risk. Um, and then every quarter they talk about their big successes and their big failures and how they made those decisions to together think about, did we behave in this situation in the way that we want to behave or, or is this a, a, an example of something that we, we should have acted on differently? And that way they continue to align on how they want to behave together. Most definitely. And all, all of everything that we're talking about requires a very high degree of psychological safety, right? You can't have those systems be successful. You can't be asking people to share without having psychological safety first individually. And then as, as we grow, we're a leader at every level, right? If you are an individual, you are a leader of yourself, of the people you care about, and you're always trying to improve. So how do you really create that psychological safety? And what are some great examples of, of where that psychological safety has been created? Yes, absolutely. We, in order to take risks, we need safety because um, when when we take a risk, it, it might work out or not. And so if we're going to be really punished, if it doesn't work out, then we're not going to take the risk in the first place. So we're going to stay in chronic performance and we're going to stay stagnated. Um, sometimes, you know, people, leaders might feel that in what they need to do is to not create fear, do, that, that, that as long as people don't feel fear, then they can take risks. But actually... People are often afraid of of taking risk or of making mistakes. They feel like they're they're gonna get a lower bonus or performance review, or they're not gonna be considered for future opportunities, or people are gonna think less of them. And it's it's so we don't we we need to not just not create fear. We need to positively create safety, right? We and to, to be fair, to be fair, because yeah. a lot of times leaders will say that, and then they'll get mad when when yes. you, you you took a risk and it didn't work out, and then they're mad that it didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. So like we, we, they say the right things of like, we want to be a risk-taking culture, but then they celebrate only when those risks turn out to be, you know, the way that we hoped. And that, that prevents people from taking risk in the first place, because they're still afraid of when things don't work out. So we need to celebrate the behaviors, you know, the, the smart risk-taking, this was a smart risk to take. It didn't work out, but then what are we learning? What are we, how are we getting smarter from what we're learning from this lesson so that we can take smarter risks in the future? Um, and that's what, you know, Ian McGregor does, you know, every quarter and there's other examples in the book. Um, but so, so three things that leaders can think about is first kind of set the stage and frame, like you said, is like, what are the, what are the behaviors that we want here is risk taking part of it is soliciting feedback part of it is talking about mistakes part of it um why are those things important so setting the stage which also involves frequently reminding people of these things because sometimes we make the mistake of explaining what kind of culture we want and then assuming that everybody's going to remember that but we need to reinforce this this these messages you know celebrate them when we see them continue to uh, to point people's attention to it and and help them explain and see what we see so that's number one number two is 
uh, create systems and habits for the learning zone and the performance zone. We've talked about that. And number three, super important, is to model learning visibly and explicitly. Sometimes, uh, very often, leaders do take on learning behaviors, but they do that in private, right? When other people aren't watching. And so if people see, they hear the leader talk about the importance of learning, but they, the leader comes across as a know-it-all, the behavior is, gonna, is going to talk louder than the words and people are going to emulate emulate the know-it-all behaviors. And so we need to you know, share what we're working to improve, solicit feedback ourselves, uh, talk about what, what mistakes we've made and what we're learning from those mistakes so that so that we're, we're doing the behaviors that other people, that we want everybody to be doing. And sometimes as leaders, we are fearful that if we do those things, people are going to lose confidence in us and in the organization. But it is these learning behaviors that make the organization stronger and more likely to succeed, especially in the in the complex and fast-changing world that we live in. And so we need to first understand that ourselves and then be able to remind people all the time that we these are the behaviors that are going to help us be stronger and, and create the change that we want to create. Absolutely. So important. And and the last thing I really think we are going to have time to chat about, I, I could sit here all day and talk to you about this because it's fascinating to learn more about how to get better at the things we care about and, and these things, these mindsets that have changed my life. But you talk about framing for learning culture in 2017, Carol Dweck published a unified theory for human needs uh, on human needs. And she covered belonging, predictability, competence, trust, agency, status, purpose, and overarching logic. And as you're talking now too, as much as we can focus on these things consciously and create systems, it's very difficult to know what we don't know or to be aware of what we're not aware of. And especially as you're a leader, someone might not check you, keep you in balance. It could very well be the things that we're saying that we think are compliments, that we think are growing the people around us, or we think are sharing a growth mindset, but are actually some of the biggest hindrances to that. For example, in belonging, in a know-it-all culture, you might hear something like, you belong here because you're a genius, a natural, you're gifted, you're talented. Where in reality, that's not talk, that's that's not growth mindset at all. That's those are nice compliments, maybe, depending on the person. I've come to not like those as much because they're focused on really the wrong things, kind of like inherent abilities, as if I didn't work hard to get to where I am. But instead, where how can you share more messages of you belong here because you care about our mission, because you're competent and what's needed to get started, but you're committed to working hard and collaborating and developing. Um, and, and that makes a big impact for us and our team. So I guess in the last little part, I'd love, can you reflect more about your experience working with leaders and, and how the things that we're not aware of and what we think are positive actually become a hindrance to our ability to cultivate a learning culture? Yes. Uh, and so we can, one of the things we can do is think about the core values that we've agreed as a leadership team, the the key behaviors that we encourage and think about, do those communicate that abilities can be developed or that people are naturals and, and gifted and talented um, and that, that continuing to change and develop and evolve ourselves every day is something that's really important and, and that we are encouraging those behaviors that, that um, so, so, we want everything to communicate that people can develop and then how to develop those things. What are the systems and habits that we can use in order to develop those things and obviously to perform as well. We want kind of performance systems and, and learning systems. And like you say, often we're not aware. We might be kind of talking about something in a fixed mindset way and we're just not aware. We haven't never really had that insight. And so um, 
the values reflecting on the values and the key behaviors, uh, reflecting on the on the messages that we send. So if we send kind of emails or you know we can record you know our messages to our staff and then ask for feedback to other people. Hey, do you see any any message here where I'm communicating that people are gifted or naturals uh, rather than you know the importance of us continuing to grow ourselves um, and so when we solicit feedback and we reflect and we look at what we're saying and, and writing and with a different lens with that specific lens then we can uncover uh, opportunities for continued improvement incredible and this conversation has been very very valuable to me i know it will be to our listeners and in sort of summary, in, in recap of everything, I just wanted to ask you to take a moment to reflect. And I'd love if you could, if you had a chance to send a message to yourself at any point in your life, when you needed to hear it the most, and you, what lessons you could share, right? you get a quick message that you could share. When was it? What would you share? And why? I would share that um, there's, well, first I got stuck in chronic performance. I got stuck in a fixed mindset. I was trying to prove rather than improve. So I, I think the, the, a key message that I would love to have learned sooner, but it doesn't matter. Like it's the most important things I learned at some point is that, um, we, we can always continue to develop ourselves. We should be continuing to develop ourselves and focusing on on improving rather than proving and 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 doing things that are worthwhile that are going to be contributing to other people's lives. Um, and you know the the key message of the book is that if we focus only on performing, our performance suffers. So we need to not just work hard to execute, but work hard like deliberately to improve, which is in different ways. Um, and 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 that when we do this, when we incorporate the learning zone into our lives. It improves not just the destination, not just our results and our outcomes, but also the journey, right? We experience less anxiety and depression because we we feel more capable to, to be competent in the fast-changing world that we live in. Um, we, um, we experience more joy from discovery, exploration, the awe, uh, and the aha moments that we experience. And then we can develop deeper relationships with each other because we're more curious. We ask more questions. We listen better. We get to know each other better and we, we develop more trust with each other. Um, so it is, uh, and, and I guess like I, a key message for me that it relates to all this is that happiness is something that I can create. Like I, I had a fixed mindset about my happiness. I thought my happiness was a result of my circumstances. If I ever just achieved this goal, then I would be happy. Um, and I learned from, you know, the art of happiness from the Dalai Lama, that happiness is an emotion that I can generate from within myself every day. And, uh, and this, so like, I, I, I learned how to learned that I could get, become better at my own happiness, uh, how to shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, because I, I learned effective strategies to do that. And that that's a key message from the book too, is like, we need to en en engage in effective strategies to improve in order to improve the things that we care about. 100%. That's what, what resonates from the book from, from cover to cover, the performance paradox. I wish my background was a little better, but you can get it at an Amazon and in, in any bookstore. Um, you you can follow Eduardo on LinkedIn. We'll have the links to his website, to his LinkedIn, to the book for you to go check out. Highly recommend The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. Get better at the things you care about, showing up for the people we love and care about, and just being able to foster those relationships. Eduardo, it's been so awesome to have you on this episode of Hard and Hard Work, to continue learning from you and to be on this mission together to choose joy and 
to choose happiness and, and, and to be on this together. It's amazing. Thank you for being here. Dito, thank you so much for, for having me and for all you do. I love that, you know, to be in this mission together with you. From me and the whole podcast team, thank you for joining this conversation of heart and hard work. We hope you'll follow so you can continue to grow with us. If you enjoyed this episode, a great way to turn your reflections into meaningful action is by commenting, sharing, or liking us on your favorite podcast platform, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It also really helps share insights from stories of heart and hard work with the people who can benefit from them the most. 